So we've been in a series called Why Church? Been in this series since September past. Asking questions, why do we organize as, quote, church and gather as a church? What does the word church even mean? Who is church for? And why do we do the things we do when we gather as church? And today, and in two weeks' time, Sunday the 23rd, especially, we're going to consider the issue of leadership in and of a church, and particularly of this church. Today's title and for the next talk is, as Chris has already said, Why Church, a people led by servants. But before we think about church leadership specifically, let us pull the lens back a bit and think about the subject of leadership and leaders more generally. And we know by experience that to have flourishing teams, sports teams or whatever, work teams, to have flourishing workplaces, to have flourishing societies, and even to have a flourishing nation, there is the absolute need for good leaders and good leadership. Human flourishing requires good leaders and good leadership. And there's a multitude of podcasts and books and courses on leadership and the general assumption seems to be that to aspire to be a leader is to aspire to be something that's good. That's the general assumption that uh, we carry and that our education system carries as well. But the word itself, the word leadership and the word leader is hard to define. They can mean so many different things to so many different people. What is leadership? Who is a leader? Is it the one with the title leader? Or is it the one with the most influence in any setting where there are people? A British Prime Minister said, once said, uh, a leader is like a lady. If you have to tell people that you are one, then you aren't. And she was right. Again. But what is leadership in the kingdom of God? What is leadership in the church of Jesus Christ? And hopefully something of an answer will emerge in these talks. And we know that good leaders cause there to be blessing. We also know that bad leaders cause great harm. And again, there are a whole podcast series on that as well. And the wisdom literature of Scripture has much to say about this also. The book of Proverbs, for instance. Let me read a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 28.2. When a land does wrong, it has many princes. But when the ruler is a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability endures. That's Proverbs 28.2. Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous are in authority and become great... The people rejoice, but when the wicked man rules, the people groan and sigh. These are just two among many proverbs that speak to the impact, both positive and negative, of having good or bad leaders. And you maybe know that the majority of the proverbs were either authored or were compiled or collected by King Solomon. 
And Solomon had an encounter with God in a dream. You can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 3. And God asked Solomon to make a request for anything that he wanted. And it's often assumed that Solomon asked for wisdom generally. And he asked for wisdom in a general way. But his request was more specific than that. He asked for wisdom to be a good ruler. He asked for wisdom to be a good leader. 1 Kings 3, 7 to 9 says, So now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. And as for me, I am but a little boy in wisdom and experience. I do not know how to go out or come in, that is, how to conduct business as a king. Your servant is among your people whom you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or countered or counted. So give your servant an understanding mind and a hearing heart with which to judge your people so that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge and rule this great people of yours. And 1 Kings 3.10 says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. Solomon somehow knew that to be a leader, to be a leader of God's people, he was going to need God's help. He needed God's wisdom. And I believe it was his father, David, who imparted that desire and that knowledge to him. If you read the Proverbs, you'll see it's all about uh, his quest for wisdom that his father, David, planted in his heart. And David was a good ruler, not without his faults, but he had been brought from tending ewes with their lambs for his father to being the shepherd of Jacob, God's people, and Israel, God's inheritance. And history inside and outside the Bible records that Solomon did indeed become a great and wise leader, bringing much blessing to many people. To this day, the Jews think of the Davidic and Solomonic period as the time, the great time of blessing. I'm sorry to say that Solomon did not end well. But we're not disciples of Solomon, primarily. Read the Proverbs and you are. We're, but we're not disciples of Solomon, primarily. We're disciples of Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth in the flesh, he said, someone greater than Solomon is here. You should listen to him. And so should we. So what did Jesus have to say about the issue of leadership? Well, Jesus didn't hold many. Jesus didn't hold any seminars on what it is to be a great leader. He did have many things to say about what it means to be a great servant. Jesus said, the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. And let me quote you some words that Jesus spoke to his disciples at the Last Supper. And don't forget, Jesus had been with this group of people for three years, and then this happens. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Luke 22, verse 24 to 26. Jesus taught 
And Jesus showed that the way to lead in his kingdom is to serve. So what does this look like now in the church that Jesus is building? And Jesus promised that he would build his church. That is going to happen. There will always be a church. No matter what opposition comes against it, no matter what controversies come our way, there will always be a church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is building this church and he's going to have his way. So, for some of what it may look like, let's go to Romans 12. And I make no apology for reading a lot of Scripture when I speak. I think that should be the most important part of our gathering, actually, the reading of Scripture. And don't switch off now and start listening to me whenever I stop reading. If you're going to switch off, do it the other way around, please. Romans 12, um, 1 says... Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 8 says, if God's grace is upon you for you to lead, do it, then do it diligently. By the way, on the way through, the word lead here is the word used for uh, when church overseers, as are the, way, uh, the word used for how church overseers should lead their own households. And we will definitely be returning to this. A relation of this word, word is also used in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 when the writer appeals to relatively new disciples there and he says, recognize or discern or know those who are over you in the Lord and admonish or to encourage you. It's stronger. Admonishment is stronger than just encouragement. But as we move on from this Romans 12 passage, I want you to think of the word grace and the word body, and see them in bold capitalized letters in your mind, the word grace and the word body. And then go with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now go down to verse 25. So that there should be no schism in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. 
with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Verse 28, and God has placed in the church, feel the weight of these words, God himself has placed in the church different gifts, but they are to work together making up the whole. It's God that places these gifts in the church. God does it. God has placed, not man has ordained, not man has appointed, not man has elected, not man has, not man has, God has placed in his church these different gifts. Now go to Ephesians 4. Starting at verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one, but to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to the people, or gave gifts to men. So Christ himself gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 7, to each one grace has been given. To each one, do I need to keep emphasizing? To each one grace has been given. He gave gifts to the people. Verse 11, he himself gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Maybe in another day we'll look at that list in greater detail. And he did this for the setting in order. The word is to set in order. For setting in order the saints, the called out ones, the people of the age to come. The saints are that we are saints. We're people of the age to come. He has given these gifts to set in order the saints so that the saints can do the work of ministry and that the body can be built up. I've read a lot of scripture, granted. But let's tie this together. What does it mean? There is one body of Christ with many parts. And if you have been rescued, that's another word for saved. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, then you have been given to the body as a gift to the other parts in that body. You are God's donation to the body. Your part may be to teach or to encourage or to show mercy or to prophesy or to lead or to, or to, or to. In my view, the lists that we have read and that are in those passages uh, are indicative of what is, but they're not exclusive. Every ministry, 
of Jesus Christ is in his body somewhere. Every ministry of Jesus Christ is in his body somewhere, and you are the body of Christ. If you're in the body of Christ, you are gifted. You are graced for something, and you should want to know what it is. And others should want to know what it is too, so that we can all work together. I said before on a previous occasion that we, uh, there's all sorts of assessments to work out what your spiritual gifts are. What about working out what another person's spiritual gifts are so that you can make room for them to serve? We've all been given a gift in the, we've all been given as a gift to the body of Christ to fulfill the purpose and to do the will of the head of the body, Jesus Christ. You have been given, you have been donated by God to be something and to do something in his church. A man cannot appoint you to that part. A man cannot ordain you to that part. God has given you to his body, the church, to be that thing, to do that thing. And this is by God's grace. It's not based on your background. It's not based on your ethnic or your religious background, neither Jew nor Gentile. This is by God's grace. It's not based on your socioeconomic standing. It's not based on your education. It's not based on your bank balance. It's not based on any of those things, neither slave nor free. This is by God's grace. It is not based on which of the two sexes that you are, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and Galatians 3, 28 coming together. Now, at this point, some may be asking pretty serious questions about what this means for church leadership. Stay tuned to the end, and I hope that some of those, answer, those questions will be answered. A member of the body of Christ can and must fulfill what they have been graced and gifted to do by God. And you can, no matter who you are, if you're saved by Jesus, you can do what God has gifted you to be. He gave you to the body, but you must steward what has been entrusted to you to contribute within and to the body. Up to this point, I've only spoken of, about the church as the body of Christ. There is at least one other way of describing the church or churches in the New Testament. Anybody know what that is? So we have the body of Christ. Is there another way of describing the church? Ecclesia, bride, there's another one. It's the word household. Household of God. Or some versions will say, some translations will say, family of God. In the New Testament, the church is referred to as the body of Christ, but it's also referred to as the household of God. Hold that thought. In the church that we have seen, there are numerous, there are manifold gifts of God's grace 
to use to prepare others for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. But as far as I understand it, there are only two recognizable offices or positions in, of leadership in the church, as far as I understand it. There is the position of overseer, hitherto in, in-house, and that pun is totally intended. We have mainly referred to them as elders. And the other distinguishable, recognizable office that I see is the position of that of a deacon or of a servant. So there are manifold gifts, wonderful, amazing gifts. But as I understand it, there are two offices listed. And there are a number of places to look in the New Testament to learn about the role and responsibilities of overseers in particular of the church. And it would be great that if you could read them in advance, if you intend coming back in two weeks' time, it would be great that if you could read uh, some of these. There's Acts 20, there's 1 Peter 5, there's Titus 1, and there's 1 Timothy 3. And you could include James 5, because elders of the church get a mention in James 5. But he, listen to this, it's in 1 Timothy 3 that the descriptor of church as household especially comes into view. It's in 1 Timothy 3 that the descriptor of church as household, as family, especially comes into view. It it says in 1 Timothy 3, it says that 1 Timothy 3 was written that it may be known how things should be conducted in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church matters. I am tired, really tired, not hearing this in-house as much, really not, but hearing it in a wider scale. The problem with the church today, and it always comes in the form of protest, 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 protest. The problem with the church today. What about getting before God and becoming prophetic to say, well, how do we be? So it is interesting that this position, this office of overseer and the descriptor of church's household or family are in the same place. This means something. There are all language, all words used in the Bible are significantly placed. There's nothing careless about what, how the scripture is written. I think it's very significant that the word overseer and household are put together in the same place when speaking about the church. So to be clear, although there are manifold gifts of grace for all members, 
in the church as the body of Christ, when it comes to the appointment or recognition of overseers, also servants, then the competence upon which they are assessed as suitable for those positions is narrower. For instance, as we will see in 1 Timothy 3, in the case of overseers, it is not only that they are husbands and fathers, but that they are faithful husbands and capable fathers. For to quote 1 Timothy 3, 5, if a man does not know how to order his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And the word order or to lead is important here. So in the next time that we meet as a whole church gathering, we're going to look at the character of overseers in the church. We're going to look at the competence or the capability of overseers, the capacity of overseers in the church. We're going to look at the charge or the challenge to overseers in the church. And we're going to look at the calling or the appointing of overseers in the church. And that last point is much more subjective and harder to discern than the previous points. So let me end with this. I'm speaking to people who have been as part of this church for a long time, speaking to others who are just here for in this last few months, and some who are on the edge looking in. Teaching on church leadership is beneficial and necessary in all contexts where you want to have church. General teaching from the Word of God is helpful at all times to all people. But I'm not speaking these things to anywhere at any time. There's a context and there's an application for this teaching for us now, at this stage of our journey together. We are a church with a history in God's grace. And hopefully we will have a future also by God's grace. We're growing, we're developing in both size and expression in terms of our mission. And we need to develop the breadth and the depth of our leadership also. And we need to do this by word, by word first, and by spirit, and in the spirit. In dealing with anything in the church of God, you need to step forward by the word in the spirit. You need to, you want to move forward listening to and understanding what the word and spirit have said. We've looked at that this morning, what the word says and what the spirit is saying. We need to mine what the Word of God says on these matters and not to use it on anything, but definitely when it comes to the uh, ordering of leadership, not to use it as an instruction textbook manual with checklists either. And we also need, as I've said, to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying 
prophetically to us. One of the reasons why there has been a, a definite lack of haste in teaching on this and in extending the oversight and core serve team is because the Holy Spirit warned some of us prophetically about it, about taking care. So as we go forward into this, let me say this. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Not I have the mind of Christ or someone else. We have the mind of Christ. And whilst the church, this church is not a democracy, it is a collective. Now you may have assumptions of what church leadership is and what it should be based on your own journey of faith, of discipleship. And these talks, they're not intended to include any criticism of other churches or how they arrange themselves. But what we are doing, very definitely, is stepping forward into the things that God has for us, seeking to discern his way together. Therefore, we need to pray in unison. This week, I have been uh, meditating on a very simple expression of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Think of how the Lord's prayer is structured. It starts off with this. Father, your name, your kingdom, your will, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Amen. Could we pray that together, just like that? Would you, if you would like to, would you stand when we pray this? Quite simply, just this. We'll go through it a couple of times until it gets into us gets through us. Father, your name, your kingdom, your will, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Now, could we do it in unison without me leading? Let's go. Father, your name, your kingdom, your will, Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Amen. So, Father, I pray, as we have read your word, that the Spirit of God would take your word and craft it into us and craft it in through us, that we may walk out in integrity to what you have said is how you want the church to be ordered. We thank you for the church, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have promised
that you will build your church and the gates of Hades would not be able to prevail against it. And I pray also, Father, for those this morning that need to come back into the place that they are a gift to the body. Lord, I pray that, they, that there would be a, a, a revelatory moment today that we would be together willing to take our part, to take our place as your gift to the church, that we would steward the grace that's on our life, whatever we have been anointed to do, that we would steward the grace of God towards one another in service one to another. Father, I pray that through these days, weeks, and months ahead, that you would keep us in terms of we have the mind of Christ. Father, I pray that you would protect us. Lord, we pray for the church of Jesus Christ in this part of the world. Lord, we pray for spiritual renewal on the church of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would pour out of your spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ is ascended and he has poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let it be known. Let it be, be seen on the church of Jesus Christ in here and in this place and in this region and in this country. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay for tea and coffee.